the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, The Finance Coast and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. Welcome to episode 54 of Magic Markets as we start to, I think, count down to the end of the year, the second year of COVID. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that in the show, but we're going to talk about a whole lot more than that as well. So Mo, the whole world is saying Omicron and uh, we are, we're trying to just deal with this stuff and it's the same, same where you are. That's the one thing with COVID. So it doesn't go away and it, and it affects you wherever you are. But uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Ghost. I mean, it, it's a good place to kick off because it really is the most topical thing right now is unfortunately we can't seem to escape this blasted pandemic. And I mean, we're, we're going to go into the nitty gritty around, you know, how the world views COVID in different geographies. I think that's really where I'd like to see that discussion go. But, uh, you know, the simple fact of the matter is that, no, we haven't escaped this. You know, I was giving an update to investors just last week. And my opening comment is that, you know, the risks are still there. We haven't yet yet escaped it. And you've got to plan accordingly. You know, when you're building your portfolios, it's about resilience through the cycle. And I guess that's going to kind of get tested if this pandemic, depending on how Omicron actually plays out. But uh, just an interesting throwaway comment is that I'm just bamboozled by which of the Greek letters they decide to choose when naming these variants, because they tend to skip over a couple of them. And the one they just skipped over, interestingly enough, was pointed out to me by a friend who said it's it's spelt X-I, as in like G, like the Chinese G, but it said, I think you, you pronounce it Zai, right? So they conveniently skipped over that one and we've gone to Omicron, which is the diminutive form of Omega, which means O big, and Omicron, which is O small. So random fact for our listeners today to kick off this discussion, I guess. Yeah, I think if Trump was still in charge, he would have jumped at the G variant. I, I think that would have become the happiest day of his entire life. But instead, we have Biden. So unfortunately, that's a missed opportunity for the Donald. And he's not even on Twitter anymore, so he can't even tweet about it. Uh, neither is Jack Dorsey. Well, he's on Twitter. He's just not at Twitter. So some big changes, big changes coming through there. Yeah, an interesting one, right, about Jack Dorsey. I mean, he's been CEO of Twitter and of Square, you know, both companies is founded. We've always spoken about founder-led companies and the ability of companies to transition from their founders to new management. We've discussed that on Magic Markets Premium. For those of you that do subscribe to that offering, go and check it out. It's interesting because Jack Dorsey is being a little proactive on this front in that he's saying it's time for Twitter to move on beyond the vision of its founders. He thinks Twitter's grown up and the stock reacted quite positively to, to, to that announcement. I think it was up in excess of 10% on the announcement. The other interest thing I'm going to throw out there is that we have another tech CEO of South Asian descent, which is very interesting. I mean, someone, again, threw away the comment saying, you know, you've got Microsoft, you've got Google, now you've got Twitter. Uh, just an interesting observation because, you know, just a couple of years ago, under the Trump administration, we were talking about how immigrants fare poorly or potentially could fare poorly in the United States. But in Silicon Valley, 
pretty decent ecosystem right now. Yeah, that, that's Mo talking his book there. No question about it. Um, speaking of uh, Microsoft, Satya Nadella sold a whole lot of his uh, shares, which is interesting. I've been seeing that in the news. So Microsoft was one of the companies that we covered in, in Magic Markets Premium. So in my ghost mail this week, I foolishly wrote that the subscription price is 99 Rand per week. It is in fact per month. 99 Rand per week is what it will feel like in value when you read through some of the stuff in there. But luckily, you don't need to pay that. So that uh, that was my bad this week. But my, bringing it back to this kind of world of COVID, and I mean, everyone knows the drill now. South Africa kind of found this variant, raised the alarm, and was immediately ostracized, treated like we have leprosy or worse, shut out from the world, flights canceled, red list everywhere. And guess what? It turns out, actually, it's all over the place already. And I see some of that is starting to peel back. But our tourism stocks got absolutely hammered on the news, bounced back a little bit. Uh, last week in Magic Markets, we talked about balance sheets and what happens when bad balance sheets happen to good people. And, you know, it, it was amazing that just a few days later, then this news broke. And, of course, the companies with balance sheets that are a little bit more dicey, a little bit more risky, they take a much bigger knock than the companies that are sitting on cash to weather the storm. So I know you're a big fan of a balance sheet with lots of cash on it, um, as opposed to one that sort of tries to sweat every ounce of equity. But what we talked about wanting to do on this show was talk about how the gap between the haves and the have-nots really increases when something like this happens. Yeah, I think there's an old saying in the market saying you only really know who's been swimming naked when the tide goes out. Now, don't ask me why anyone wants to know who's swimming naked. But at the end of the day, it's about companies and countries that try and sneak by by papering over the, the cracks. Yes, you know, it's a little bit of a misnomer to say I, I prefer companies that have a, a large amount of cash on the balance sheet rather than just having enough on the balance sheet to give you optionality. And what do I mean when I say that? We've spoken about optionality so many times on the show. It's that when you are faced with this adverse market reaction or the world happens, a pandemic happens, if you are sailing close to the wind, you can apply exactly the same thinking to your own portfolios. If you are fully invested and the market takes a smack, it doesn't matter if the market's down 20% or 30%. If you don't have the cash to redeploy once the market corrects. And that's really something that, you know, when we had 2020, the pandemic crash, I did a lot of soul searching myself in that particular, in that particular downtrend in the market, simply because do you have a, the ability to deploy cash that you've been keeping as dry powder to the market? And secondly, I guess the psychology thereof. But I don't want to digress. When we discuss our issues around haves and have-nots, this becomes apparent not just at a company level, but it becomes apparent at a country level as well. And let's let's do that. So first of all, at a company level, we saw massive pressure come through in terms of airline stocks. We saw massive pressure in terms of hospitality. Yes, that's going to hurt, for example, the tourism sector in South Africa particularly badly at a time when really you're gearing up for the festive season, for the holiday season. So it definitely leaves a sour taste in your mouth. But for me, the thing that really, and again, I'll talk my book here as a South African, yes, living globally, but someone who desperately wants to come back to South Africa, spend time with family and friends, it's really very disruptive to confidence when even if you're planning a trip, flights get canceled at the drop of a hat. Regulation changes whilst you're sitting midair. And what that does is it's got a much longer tail in terms of the destruction to sentiment. The next time I plan a trip to South Africa, I'm going to think and say, mm, what happens if, for example, I get canceled midair and have to fly back? And that's going to start effectively disincentivizing people from taking trips down there. So that's on the tourism point. The other aspect we really need to get into, but I, before we even 
even go there, I want to hear your view in terms of just the local dynamic in South Africa is what does the vaccine situation look like and why does the world look differently to South Africa and certain geographies? But before we even go there, let's go to the what's the on the ground sentiment in your view, Ghost, when you look at hospitality and then just general activity. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for local travel. And, uh, you know, people who wanted to go overseas now maybe have been shut out from it or already canceled their trips or whatever the case may be. There's a lot of pent-up demand. And interestingly enough, in uh, President Ramaphosa's address the other night, he kind of said, look, for now, just carry on, you know, as you were, no changes to restrictions. Because I think the ANC has been sent a pretty big message in the last election. I mean, I saw a horrible statistic today that the, the suicide rating for, I think it's in Khartoum, was massively up. The reality is there's very real cost of locking down. You know, you save lives on one hand and you lose lives on the other. So I think governments try and find that balance. I think everyone is trying to find that balance and we'll we'll have to just see see where it comes out. But a statistic that I did notice this week or, or rather a mention in a SENS announcement was in Standard Bank's results. And the bank talks about how corporate demand for credit remains very muted, which means that corporates are not spending. They have deleveraged, they are nervous, they're holding on to cash. And that means that they are not necessarily creating jobs. That's an issue. And that demand among consumers for normal sort of loans and advances, so stuff like mortgages, vehicle, asset finance, is uh, okay. It's kind of coming back. But the one that is already recovered to pre-COVID levels is actually personal loans, so your unsecured lending. Now, that I think there's a lot you can read into that. Maybe I'm over-reading into it, but for me that tells you that people are starting to borrow to get by again as opposed to to purchase a house or to purchase a new car. Unsecured lending is because you need money and you're happy to pay a high rate for it for whatever reason. You know, it's not student debt. It's not that kind of stuff. So that's a concern. I think that the South African consumer story over the past few months has really been one of people living out of their savings, living out of their retrenchment packages, living out of, you know, the, the kindness of, of family where possible. Those chickens are going to come home to roost now. It's all, you know, you look at retailer results and it almost looks like nothing happened in some cases, but it just isn't true. And the unemployment stats prove it. You know, I, I must be honest, I, I choose quite carefully what to read and what not to read. I try to give myself a balance of like bad news and good news. Otherwise, you can quickly get into a bit of a death spiral. So I didn't read the unemployment data in detail. I saw the headline and that was good enough for me. It's still going in the wrong direction. I mean, Mo, is that something that you also keep an eye on from that side of the pond? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you've touched on a couple of points that are very important there. So first and foremost, let's let's get the unemployment elephant out of the room. The headline, almost 35% in Q3. Now, no surprises. I mean, we had the riots in and around the earlier part of, of, of Q3 that certainly would have impacted sentiments. Uh, I think that filters through. But the unemployment story in South Africa is deeper than that. I mean, if you look at the headline, 35%, I mean, that's insane. But you've got to look beyond that. You've got to look at youth unemployment. And with youth unemployment, I think South Africa right now is probably the country in the world with the highest youth unemployment. I stand corrected, but it's in the region of around 60%. And that's obscene. It's obscene because it erodes the soul of South Africa, of the future workforce. Now, let's move from that to confidence and investment and business, because those are all themes that you've touched on. First of all, you also had a business confidence coming out, and that ticked lower, no surprises there. When you filter that through in terms of activity and not your standard bank point, for example, some of the stuff you're seeing in the, in the underlying results, you're absolutely spot on. You have to look at the mix in terms of funding and where activity is, and at a macro level, 
you're right. If you're not seeing it in terms of capital creation, formation, mortgages, for example, and you're seeing it in personal loans and unsecured lending and credit cards, it means that South Africa is the YOLO trade. Now, just as a casual observer, you know, again, I say this a little tongue-in-cheek, but at the time, South Africa went from probably the hardest lockdown in phase one, lockdown one, to probably one of the easiest lockdowns I'd seen globally. And so there was no middle ground. And I saw, for example, footage of people hosting events with no social distancing and no masking. So that pendulum swinging for me is really what's damaging because at the end of the day, you don't really get out of the blocks sustainably. Let's bring it back to businesses investing because I think that's an important point. And it also can then move from that discussion to a haves versus have-nots. South Africa has so many fracture lines. Now, what I mean when I say that is that we've got big business and you've got informal business. And it's the middle that generally gets squeezed out of that. The big business has the ability to go to their financiers, their banks, capital markets, if you're listed, raise capital and survive pandemics, survive crises. So even if they're sailing close to the wind, we spoke on on last week's show about rights offers. You go to your shareholders and you dilute them into nothing or someone's going to fund you, potentially, and that means your business survives or maybe you're a step away from bankruptcy or Chapter 11 or whatever it may be. If you're the small business, you're probably not geared. So it really, you don't have the overhang of the debt, but you do have the overhang of maybe just losing all of your customers. So it's really the guy in the middle who potentially loses his customers to the informal trade or to the bigger guys, doesn't have the same access to capital markets. And unfortunately, here's where we tie it all the way back to the unemployment point. Small business, formal small business, is known globally to be the largest jobs creator. So if we try and square the circle here, you can see how South Africa's losing the clips on the deal ticket at so many different phases that unfortunately its problems seem insurmountable and intractable. But in fact, it's about a whole bunch of deeper micro reforms that need to start moving the needle. And, you know, I think the last point I want to throw in there is that we saw a policy rate increase in South Africa uh, about a week or two ago. Now, the fact of the matter is that inflation is a risk, but monetary policy in aggregate, when you look at it at an economy-wide level, is still considered easy. And how would this be reconciled? How it's reconciled is that despite what are still close to record low rates, businesses haven't invested. They haven't created jobs. And as the cycle turns, if you start seeing an uptick in terms of the wrong type of spend, the unsecured lending type of spend, that's when regulators say, maybe we need to shift the price of money up here because inflation becomes the bigger evil relative to growth. Yeah, that's fascinating. And another thing that I've seen in the market that I think is worth pointing out is in the office portfolios in REITs. So the vacancy rates are not turning around. They're getting worse. Uh, Growth Point has got, I think it's 70,000 square meters vacant in Santon. Just Growth Point. That is, that's enough space. I, I spoke to a, a, a property guy I know the other day. That's space for about 7,000 people. It's like fathom that number. Who are these people who are going to go back to the office full time in a Santon CBD? I mean, honestly, who are these people? So, you know, talking about the pendulum swinging, is how landlords have gone from having the power to now having the begging bowl when it comes to office portfolios. And they really do. Lease reversions, which is the, you know, the difference between the new lease and the one that it replaced, are sitting at like minus 20, minus 25%. So where they can get tenants, those tenants are paying 
you know, three quarters of what the previous tenant was paying. And, and this, is, this is the market for you. And this is what makes investing so interesting. And this is what makes the cycles, you know, so important. And, and the company that we're looking at for Magic Markets Premium this week is Ford. And Ford is a great example of a cyclical play, actually. It's not as cyclical as stuff like mining and resources, but the automotive industry is quite cyclical. Another massive example that South African investors have strongly been exposed to recently is Grindrod Shipping. You know, that's about as, as cyclical an industry as you'll ever find in your life. It's actually, do yourself a favor, go and draw like a 15-year chart of, uh, of the shipping companies. I mean, it's, it's hilarious, actually. <laughs> it's not something you buy and hold and keep in your drawer. <laughs> you need to buy it when no one wants it, and you need to sell it when everyone wants it. <laughs> and that's important. So, Mo, that pendulum is, is human behavior. Same with lockdowns, same with countries, same with everything. Yeah, it's, it's why cycles. I bang on about cycles quite a bit. And unfortunately, you know, I think a lot of investors maybe are newer investors. They don't have the benefit of having lived through history, but that's not an excuse. You can go up, you can pull up a chart, you can go and read. Immerse. I, I always come with the historical stuff and people laugh about it, but it's because markets like human behavior has a degree of cyclicality to it. So for example, to your point around property in Santon, you know, Yes, the pandemic exposed those cracks. I can tell you that around the time I was leaving South Africa, or maybe even just before, so 2018, 2019, I remember having meetings with investors where there was just this glut of supply in office. And what was happening is that you had people moving from A grade into what was then termed premium grade. And so everyone kind of traded up. There wasn't the pressure on rentals, but they got better quality for the amount of money they were spending because there was a supply and demand disconnect. The market has been aware of that. And property is actually a great pendulum, I guess, litmus test. Is because if you can map that, it tends to peak around the time or maybe just a little bit before you get economic contractions. Go and look at, for example, history on when some of the world's largest skyscrapers were completed and map that against historic economic mega cycles and recessions. And you'll see this disturbing similarity in terms of the pattern. So I think going to that point, observe it, be a student of history. You know, the fact that corporates are now, there's that much vacant space is not because of the pandemic. It's something that existed before the pandemic and people were getting by, landlords were getting by and they were papering over the cracks. But like I said at the start, when the tide goes out, you see who's been swimming naked. I mean, if you have a look at not just lease reversions, if you just have a look at the overall sentiment who are the people who are going to go back to full-time work? Well, let's maybe use this as a, as a touch point to move to my next point, going back to Omicron and vaccines, is that maybe it's the vaccinated, maybe it's not. But another data point that I find fascinating in South Africa is that vaccine penetration seems to have flatlined around 25%. I mean, I was staggered by a story to say that South Africa has stopped ordering new vaccines because they can't get them into arms. And I would expect that if you're sitting at 60s and 70%, but at 25%, that means that only one in four people are vaccinated and the rest of them are not. Now, this becomes a problem if we go back to Omicron and a world where the rest of the world is going to say, ah, you know, this variant comes from Africa or no, we're not going to let you into our borders unless you're vaccinated. What's your views on the ground in South Africa on that specific point around low vaccine penetration? Honestly, Mo, you'll find this, I think you'll find this interesting, but most people I speak to, they're getting the vaccine as much because they want to travel as because they feel it's going to help them uh, 
fight the virus, which is quite fascinating. So again, it's human behavior. It's all about the carrot and the stick. It's amazing how people are like, well, either I've had it. I think a lot of people have had it. And then they go, well, if I've had it and I've beaten it, do I really need the vaccine? And that's like the one mindset. And then the other mindset is, uh, you know, I really want to travel this year. And uh, therefore, I'm going to get this thing because it lets me get on a plane. Uh, and then a whole lot of people are just not interested. So, yeah, we're going to see we're going to see where it all goes. Are you still holding your uh, Moderna shares? <laughs> no, so I, I offloaded Moderna. In fact, a little bit higher than, than it is today. It came all the way off. I was probably slow to get back in again. Long, long story short, I think that for as long as the pandemic is there, for as long as we move into this world of booster shots and variants, that there's a reasonable basis for that entire theme, for the vaccine theme. Again, as we always say on Magic Markets Premium, it is sensitive to the price you're paying for the investment. So I'm not necessarily saying go out there and buy those stocks right now, but I still believe in the theme as a whole. I'll tell you why. I just saw a news report that says that the EU are considering a nine-month validity on your vaccination. So if you were vaccinated more than nine months ago, potentially the EU is going to look at that and say, ah, why haven't you had a booster? So this, going back to the point, creates a world of haves and have-nots. And why do I say this? I mean, I know the point around vaccine equity in South Africa, in Africa in general, and in emerging markets is a very massive and valid point. It's about access to the vaccines. It's why I also asked you the question around the 25% penetration rate is because I think those are two distinct, separate, but related arguments. One is that, yes, the emerging world needs affordable access to the vaccines. But if, for example, the emerging countries are given access to the vaccine and those vaccines then waste in refrigerators until they expire, that's going to shoot the case in the foot. And the rest of the world who are happy to fund or subsidize those vaccines are going to say, well, actually, you didn't use it the first time around, so you don't get a second bite at the cherry. This, again, shows you those fracture points that are emerging globally. I think it's a mega theme we need to keep an eye on because you're going to have rich countries that have access to vaccines and booster shots. And then in the emerging world, you're going to have those that just don't have access. And guess what? They probably weren't traveling, but they're probably not going to be able to travel again. And then it's the really the middle in income countries that are interesting. And South Africa is one of those. It's unfortunately migrating from upper middle income to lower middle income discussion for another day. But in a South Africa, if people want to travel, if the country wants to continue to ingratiate itself to the international community, boosters are going to come onto the agenda. And that's going to come at a cost. So now it again exposes the fracture point of poor fiscal management, procurement, etc. It's, it's so intertwined. It's really so ugly. The last point I just want to go to, I am cognizant of our time, Ghost, is that it's interesting that you say people want to travel. I mean, someone I know had a family member headed out this way uh, from South Africa on Virgin. And apparently Virgin, which is not really even one of your larger airlines down there, had to cancel over the season something like 65,000 passengers. Now, if you multiply that to an Emirates, for example, or some of the larger carriers, the hit to the South African tourism industry is absolutely staggering and massive. And on a global basis, potentially also explains why we've seen oil prices. Maybe the silver lining here is oil prices have finally come off the boil just a little bit. I mean, it's still in the 70s. It's still extremely expensive. That's, that's really pushing some of the inflation. But if this continues, I guess the saving grace is if oil comes off, maybe inflation comes off. And that means that maybe the Fed, Jay Powell, doesn't have to sound as hawkish as he was sounding today. Something, again, we touched on in the show last week. Yeah, exactly. And, and my, I was speaking to someone the other day and they talked about vaccine as a service. So we're now getting into a vast business model. Every year, you, you know, maybe you pay a subscription and 
you get your vaccine and you get, uh, you know, who knows what else. So yeah, it's an interesting, interesting world we live in. I think that is pretty much our time this week for the free show. I would again encourage our listeners to check out Magic Markets Premium. We now have six shows already in the premium library. Uh, we've got a seventh one coming this week. We're doing Ford. We've done Intuit, the accounting software and, and business services operation. They also just recently bought MailChimp. We've done Nike. We've done US Banks. We've done Microsoft and we've done Etsy. So it's really a cool spread of companies. Each week, it's a solid deep dive into each one. We do a premium podcast that goes with it. We look at some charts. We look at technicals. We look at investment fundamentals. It's a really nice way to invest 20 minutes a week, get on top of a global stock each week and learn from us and also give us feedback so we can learn from our listeners. I think everyone's always learning. It's an important point. So Mo, thank you. We'll do this again next week. And to our listeners, please visit magic-markets.com and check out Magic Markets Premium. Thanks. Remember to visit thefinancegoes.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.